This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Swaha Patanaik, Head of Publishing. The currency market is the largest and most liquid in the world, with daily turnover of around 6.6 trillion dollars. Moves like the euro's recent drop to a 20-year low of less than 0.99 against the dollar have huge implications for companies and economies. So do slower tectonic shifts like which currencies central banks choose to hold in their reserves. With me today to discuss the outlook for these longer-term trends is Tristan Perrier, an economics insights specialist at the Amundi Institute. Welcome, Tristan. Hello. Tristan recently co-authored a paper on this issue along with Pascal Blanquet, chair of the Institute. So, Tristan, as uh, you lay out, the dollar has dominated the global economy and financial markets for the best part of a century, really. It's the top currency not only in the FX markets, but in bond markets, lending and in central bank reserves. The paper that you and Pascal have written argues that there's a possibility we may very gradually transition to a world where there are two or more currencies that act as this sort of FX anchor, a so-called multipolar world. I guess skeptics might point out that the dollar's dominance wasn't eroded much after the launch of the euro, which some had said might be a potential challenger. So why is this time different? Obviously, the dollar dominance has proved more resilient than initially uh, thought. Actually, under some metrics, the dollar has even increased its weight in the uh, in the global economy, uh, which proved su- surprising to many. However, we believe that indeed this time it could be different, and this has to do with the multifold theme of uh, deglobalization. So we may be he- headed towards a regime that would be more inflationary in general, and also with a lesser correlation across countries' economic cycles. This has a number of implications, especially for Forex reserve uh, managers. Together with the high inflation comes the fact that they will probably mind more the return on their uh, reserve holdings and not so much hold them for uh, liquidity. Therefore, they may seek higher yielding securities than plain USD treasuries that form the, the, the basis of uh, many stocks of uh, forex reserves. Then with this uh, lower correlation across countries' economic cycles come obviously more forex volatility, hence an incentive of uh, diversifying their, their reserve holding away from the US dollar and holding uh, other currencies. Uh, another aspect is the regionalization of trade. We may come back uh, to this uh, later on that, that may, may uh, substitute for uh, the globalization as we know it. And therefore, we may see regional blocks, each trading uh, using the, the, the region's main currency as an anchor, and it would not be the USD for all of them. Uh, another theme that is also related to deglobalization that is a bit different, more geopolitical, is obviously the, uh, the so-called weaponization of forex reserves, especially against the backdrop of the Ukraine conflict. We have seen that uh, a large country is uh, currently uh, incapable of accessing its uh, its reserves, which 
certainly has been noticed by many forex reserve managers in the world as it implies that uh, they may not be able to access their holdings if the policies of their countries are not fully aligned with US geopolitical interest. Obviously, for many, that can be also a reason to diversify away from the uh, USD. Perfect. So, I mean, that that's making quite a compelling case, but the trends you're talking about are very long term. So let me ask you what might happen on the way to perhaps this new FX world. So the dollar is currently very strong. Other countries might in previous years have been pretty happy with their exporters winning a sort of competitive edge in the FX markets. But these year, this time, the weakness of their currencies is inflating the value of their energy bill. So that happens because international commodities like oil are denominated in dollars. So as the dollar gets stronger, the price looks bigger in, the, in local currency terms. Given what we're seeing and the pain that's adding to economies, do you think there might come a point where major economies could join forces and try to curb the dollar's strength? Yes, indeed, we are currently seeing very large moves that are damaging for many economies. We're seeing record lows and highs in terms of uh, real exchange rates for, uh, for several countries. And indeed, we do not exclude that uh, countries at some point will try to react to correct some of the most uh, flagrant uh, misalignments. Uh, this can take several, uh, this can be along several approaches. It can be coordinated or it can be uh, unilateral or uh, competitive. Should it be coordinated, which we believe is not uh, to be fully excluded, uh, this would be very reminiscent of the Plaza Accord of uh, 1985 because the point would very probably be to, um, to uh, depreciate the dollar and to lift the value of the euro and of the yen, obviously it was the, the Deutsche Mark uh, at, the, at the time, because the, these are the directions that would probably alleviate the most the pain for uh, these, uh, these countries. So that might be uh, an option, not, not that we have so tangible signals that it is just uh, about to happen. Uh, the, the other way would be uncoordinated. So here the, the, the theme would be what we could call a reverse currency war. When you speak of currency wars, it's usually countries that try to depreciate competitively their, uh, their countries to be more competitive on export markets. But in that case, it would be countries trying to appreciate their uh, currency because, as you said, indeed, a weak currency against the current backdrop is damaging in terms of uh, especially the, the, the energy bill. So we could see this type of political uh, reaction, either cooperative or uncooperative. And indeed, the, the odds tend to increase as the misalignments get uh, larger and larger. I think one interesting feature this time around is perhaps that uh, China is a much bigger player in the global economy and obviously wasn't participating in the plaza and Louvre records that you mentioned. Do you think we could see perhaps China joining in if there were this sort of uh, coordinated action? Uh, we uh, obviously China was not here at the, at the Plaza Accord. Um, its its interest is probably also uh, to depress the value of the dollar because China has the, there's the short term uh, there are the short term topics obviously, but China also wants to bolster the status of the renminbi over the long term, and it it's make it makes it more difficult as as the dollar is uh, is so strong. So uh, yes, we think that uh, China may be positively inclined to somewhat help with that uh, that form of an accord. It is very unclear at this stage whether China could officially participate in such an accord. If it were the case, obviously, it would send a very powerful signal uh, in terms of 
uh, how cooperative uh, China wants to join uh, international uh, coordination. But we are still quite uh, far away and with little clarity on that, on that topic. Having said that, we did see during the global financial crisis, it was, wasn't perhaps coordinated rate cuts like the other countries, but it sort of happened around this sort of pretty much announced around the same time. So as you say, it doesn't have to be formally coordinated. Um, but China is also really important for the ideas you talk about uh, when you discuss with Pascal in this paper that you both wrote about a multipolar currency regime. What might such a regime look like? Perhaps you could lay out a few of the details. Indeed, indeed, we believe that the uh, transformation of uh, globalization from outright globalization to a more uh, regional, multipolar uh, world is, is a very plausible scenario with uh, trade blocks indeed working uh, on the basis of anchor currencies. So in that case, it would be essentially two blocks centered on uh, the USA and China, each uh, each uh, trading on, on with the uh, with its anchor uh, renminbi and uh, and USD. Uh, in that case, what we what we would see as the most uh, probable is that each block would recycle its uh, current account imbalances internally, uh, meaning that the the, the 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 imbalance between the two blocks actually would not be uh, so large. And here we could have trade that would be uh, settled in some form of a neutral currency such as uh, gold, uh, gold for instance. But most of the imbalances would be internal uh, to each block. Uh, unlike the large uh, imbalance between U the USA and China that we have had uh, so far. Of course, it would not be as simple as that. You could also have uh, other groups of countries uh, that would be more loosely related to uh, each block. It could be the case, obviously, of the uh, euro area that would be more related to the uh, USD, USA block. And then you could have uh, also some uh, attempts at forming a non-aligned block, like Bandung style, if you, if you want to call it uh, that way, where a number of large uh, non-China emerging economies uh, would also uh, try to be relatively independent from these blocks, possibly also trying to, to, to trade in, in gold to somewhat neutralize their, their trade relationships with uh, other uh, countries. Uh, of course, should this happen, it will take uh, years or even uh, decades. At this stage, we are still in a state where the, the RENBB's ro role is very underdeveloped compared to that of the USD, and it would require major uh, steps in terms of Chinese policy uh, decisions, if only uh, freeing the, the, the capital account. That would be uh, for sure uh, a necessity. And uh, of course, we also uh, know that this is not the only possible outcome. There are also uh, relatively strong arguments in favor of the USD retaining its role, uh, if only because globalization may not have said its final word. When people talk at, at the moment of deglobalization, which would have been somewhat accelerated by COVID, it is very much deglobalization of the goods economy. So all these supply chain, uh, offshore supply chains and, and, and factories in other countries, new technological developments, some of them actually accelerated by COVID, may open new avenues of services uh, deglobalization. So co companies offshoring functions that could not be services, high-value-added services functions that would not be offshored uh, previously. And in that case, you could have globalization changing face rather than receding, and maybe it makes it practical to retain, after all, the USD as the, as the global uh, anchor. So that is also a plausible outcome, although we would consider it slightly less likely than the two-block system that I described previously. 
Perfect. And let me ask the million dollar question, or perhaps I should say $6.6 trillion question, given the size of the Forex market. What does this mean for investors, not as in the currency markets where you pointed out there's volatility coming um, and already happening, but in the wider sort of asset classes in general? Yes, there, there are many. This has many implications for uh, for asset classes, and, and indeed, as always with investment implications, we need to be very mindful of the of the time uh, horizons. So, 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 first of all, in terms of currency, uh, we believe that investors should be somewhat wary of trying to ride further the waves of the current uh, large moves. As I have tried to uh, describe, we may soon reach a point where uh, countries may want to react against some of the to correct some of the most uh, blatant misalignments and, and that could cause, be it coordinated or uncoordinated, that could cause a sharp uh, market uh, reversals. Uh, longer term, we believe that there is a strong case to get, uh, gain exposure to uh, renminbi and other uh, Chinese uh, assets as, uh, as uh, China asserts its role in the, in the global economy and possibly, as I've tried to, to, to describe, federates uh, a, a large regional uh, trading and investment flow uh, blocks. But here, again, the time horizons matter a lot. It is very possible that uh, short term, as China is trying to propagate its more of its currency to be used as a trading or, uh, or investment uh, uh, asset. There may be a liquidity effect that is actually negative for the currency. But longer term, we believe that as the renminbi asserts itself as a reserve currency, there will be a, va there will be a value effect that is positive uh, and so with spillovers on other uh, types of, uh, of Chinese uh, assets. Uh, then, in the meantime, a third implication is, is obviously has a lot to do with uh, this desynchronization across countries' uh, global cycles, which I, I previously uh, described. We are so much used to have uh, synchronized monetary policies, synchronized economic cycles, very low forex volatility. It is the great the great return of forex volatility is probably something uh, for the long term uh, uh, characteristic of a new regime. So investors will tend to gain in uh, increasing their uh, geographic uh, diversification, which, which may not have been of so much help until now or in the last uh, 20 years. That may become more useful today. And then we must uh, also mind the fact that if, if there is some uh, receding of, uh, of globalization, some deglobalization, uh, it will mean that, um, that uh, excess savings are recycled more internally than externally uh, by countries. And that may largely be, be driven by publicly sponsored uh, investment plans. So across all asset classes, but I would say especially for equities, uh, there may be a rationality for investors to try to achieve exposure to those sectors that will benefit the most from uh, government-sponsored uh, investment plans aimed at bolstering uh, sovereignty, as uh, at, uh, at uh, lifting uh, potential growth. So all these themes that have become a very, very uh, large after the, after the COVID uh, episode. Great. Well, Tristan, it sounds like it might take several years, if not over time, decades to play out. But you've definitely highlighted the importance of what we're seeing and the underlying trends that are emerging. So thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to us today. We hope you'll join us again soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, 
on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.